You are listening to a Cold Lake Community Church podcast. We hope today's message inspires you. Cold Lake Community Church, a place where families connect. Well, this morning is Pentecost Sunday. And I don't know if you know it or not, but you're sitting in a Pentecostal church. <laughs> Woo! And um, Pentecost is something that is incredibly important to Pentecostals, isn't it? And some of you might be here, oh, what's, what's, what's Pentecost? Well, I'm going to start with this. Well, today <laughs> is Pentecost Sunday, and it's something that's celebrated 50 days after Easter. And um, the word... Pentecoste actually comes from a Greek word that means 50th. And um, it's regarded, Pentecost is regarded as the birthday for the Christian church. And it's when the Holy Spirit fell on the disciples in the upper room in Jerusalem. And we can read about that in Acts 2, which we are going to do this morning. You know, this event ushered in a new era in which the Holy Spirit would empower believers with boldness and power and lead them into their kingdom calling which was to bring the kingdom of God onto earth through the power of the Holy Spirit. And it's an amazing thing. It's what God's been doing for the last 2,000 years, is sending out men and women and children empowered with the Holy Spirit to preach the word of God, to bring healing and life into a broken and dark world. And uh, it's an exciting thing, and it's uh, something that is open to really all believers everywhere. You know, the Holy Spirit empowers the church to spread the good news of the gospel to the world. He called the church to preach the gospel, to heal the sick, to bring hope to the hopeless, and God's love to the broken. And that's what we do here at Coley Community Church. Our mission is empowered by the Holy Spirit. We'll share God's love everywhere. And uh, it's about the empowerment of the Holy Spirit in our lives. It's about the love of God that we demonstrate to people every day through our actions, through our words, through our prayers, but also by sharing Jesus, introducing people to the person of Jesus, one of the three persons of the Trinity. You know, this morning will be a celebration service where we reflect back on the history of our denomination and hearing some stories about leaders who helped establish the Pentecostal Church in Canada and abroad. And uh, before we do that uh, today, I'd like to look at Acts 2. So if you don't have your Bibles with you, you can read it off the screen here. And it starts off with this. It says, Acts 2, 1 to 5. On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly there was a loud sound from heaven, like a roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the entire house in which they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them, and everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other tongues as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. At that time, there were devout Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem, and when they heard the loud noise, everyone came running, and they were bewildered to hear their own languages being spoken by the believers." And uh, these believers, they're looking at them thinking, how are these Galilean fishermen speaking my home dialect from far away? How is this, like a miracle was taking place. And uh, I love reading this account because, you know, they start going out and and, uh, Peter begins to preach and share about the resurrected Jesus and sharing about the Christ that had just been crucified by the Jews. And someone yells out from the crowd, these people are drunk. Peter says, it's only nine in the morning, and uh, we're not drunk, that this is a move of the Spirit. And he then references the prophet Joel, where it says, it shall be in the last days that I will pour out my Spirit on all mankind, that your sons and daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, your old men shall dream dreams, both men and women, I will pour forth my Spirit." that God is indiscriminate. He's going to pour out his spirit on both men and women alike. 
on the young, on the old alike. He's going to move and operate in those who love him, who believe in him, and who trust in him with their lives. And it's an amazing opportunity, an amazing thing that God does. You know, the Pentecostal movement began a little, little over 100 years in Canada with the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. The movement began with the empowerment of spiritual gifts, such as the gift of tongues and prophecy. And today, Christians all over the world are having powerful encounters with the Holy Spirit. You know, sometimes this is referred to as being filled with the Spirit, or sometimes we use terminology such as baptized in the Holy Spirit. And simply, um, when it comes to Pentecost, what it is is it's a secondary empowerment of the Spirit of our lives, in, of the Spirit in our lives, in the life of a believer, in which by the power of the Holy Spirit, we go walk out in boldness and with a new power operating in the gifts that the Holy Spirit gives us. Today is a celebration service because we are celebrating 100 years of the Pentecostal Assemblies of Canada. The Pentecostal Assemblies of Canada is, is our denomination that we are affiliated with. We are part of the fellowship of the Pentecostal Assemblies of Canada. And um, this year's particularly special uh, because of that, that it's more than just a Pentecostal Sunday. Today we're going to be reflecting on the past. We're going to be looking at stories of, of what God has done, the formation of our denomination, and what's brought us to where we are today. And uh, hopefully, too, we'll be able to speak a little bit about what God wants to do um, in our midst into the future. So today, we thank God for the Holy Spirit and the enablement that he brings to our lives to follow Jesus and to be obedient to the call of God. And we wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for the legacy of early Pentecostal ministry leaders. You know, the Canadian Pentecostal movement began in Toronto in 1906. There's a woman named Ellen Hebden and her husband James, and uh, they were missionaries, they were Methodists, and they rented a three-story building on Queen Street in Toronto and served in and established a mission. And one evening while in prayer, Ellen received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. At this time, she became known as the, maybe the first person in Canada to speak in tongues. And shortly after, hundreds of people began to attend the Queen Street Mission, seeking after God. Of course, a William J. Seymour, hugely important person when it comes to um, the Pentecostal movement over the last hundred years. Around the same time that um, Ellen and her husband were encountering the Holy Spirit in Toronto, down in the States in Los Angeles was a man named William Seymour. He was leading the Azusa Street Revivals. As an Afri he was an African-American man born to former slaves, and he experienced and preached on the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and in 1916, he was spirit-filled and began a spirit-empowered movement across the United States that spread throughout the world. You know, people from all over North America began to hear about the outpouring of the Holy Spirit at Azusa Street and began to travel down there, and they began to experience what they would call as the baptism of the Holy Spirit also. One such person included R.E. McAllister, and he helped usher in the Ottawa outpouring in 1911 in our own nation. He was born in Renfrew, Ontario, and grew up in it to a Scottish Presbyterian household. As a young man, McAllister would strap a Bible to his plow and would memorize scriptures as he worked in the fields. He had an amazing retention, and it was said that he could read any chapter of the Bible three times and recite it by memory. Amazing. I wish I had that ability to read a chapter three times, be able to recite it by memory. What an amazing thing. Think how many different translations you could know. Every single one. Well, maybe not every single one, but that'd be amazing. So Ari McAllister had heard about what was happening in Azusa Street. And, he, and in 1906, he decided to travel down there where he was filled to with the Spirit. And he later returned to Canada to open up what was called the Apostolic Mission in the nation's capital of Ottawa. And it was here that a new revival was born, but also where Ari e. McAllister would help guide the PAOC through the early years of his development. And so he was absolutely instrumental in the formation of the PAOC. And so as this Pentecostal movement was happening, 
There are little movements that were happening all across our nation. And little Pentecostal churches were popping up all over our nation. And so what he and many other men did was they got together and they, they collected a bunch of the Pentecostal movements to, together under one banner to have one vision and one direction in which they could move. And it took a series of years to do it effectively. But, but over time, over 100 years, the POC had not a single church. And over 100 years had moved to become the biggest evangelical movement in our nation in which we have more POC churches than any other evangelical denomination in Canada, which is a pretty amazing thing. That God has moved and God has blessed of the Pentecostal Church in Canada. Um, A.H. Argue was another man who would have a huge impact on the Pentecostal movement here in Canada. He owned a real estate business and he received Christ at the Salvation Army Revival. And he was a great reputation uh, in Central Canada, specifically in Winnipeg, where it's recorded of people saying of him that there are two people you can trust in Winnipeg, God and A.H. Argue. Could you imagine? Could you imagine somebody saying that about you? There are two people in Cold Lake that you can trust. God and your name. Clearly this was a man who was faithful to the call of God on his life. That the spirit of God was seen. That he loved and that he led and lived a righteous life. And um, I pray that that would be us, that we would be people who are seen to reflect the character of God in our world. After hearing about the Azusa Street Revival, Argue then traveled to the William Durham Mission in Chicago, where he waited on the Lord for 21 days. And he was determined not to leave there until he too had encountered the Holy Spirit, what people were calling the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And after 21 days, he too had an encounter with the Holy Spirit. He then sent a telegram to his family on that day stating, received the baptism of the Holy Spirit coming home on the next train. He returned home back to Winnipeg and began hold, holding tearing meetings in his home. And tearing is like waiting upon God, doing what he did when he went to Chicago, sitting and waiting and praying for God to move and saying, God, I'm not going to do anything until you move in my life. God, I am coming with expectation and I'm waiting on you. I will be still and know that you are my God. So he's holding these meetings in his home and on May 2nd, 1907, the power of the Holy Spirit fell on the believers that were present and the Pentecost um, movement began to be kindled too in central Canada. You know, one thing that's important that I want to highlight about the um, formation of the PAOC was that it began out of revival and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit into everyday ordinary men and women, just like you, just like me, who had a hunger and a love for God, who were seeking God with all their heart. You know, Canadian Pentecostals were early and enthusiastic adopters of God's mission, obeying the command of Christ to go to all the world to preach the gospel, whether at home here in Canada or to the farthest corners of the earth. There was an urgency among the early Pentecostals that drove them to the far corners of the earth, to the hard-to-reach places, to the dry spiritually places, to the places that was literally bound to be an, leading to an early death. And they did it to share the transformational love of Christ and to bring the, in the power of the Holy Spirit. You know, reaching the lost was not a doctrine for the early Pentecostals. They recognized that it was a mission. A mission, it was God's mission, and it became their mission. That God did, in fact, so love the world that he gave his only son, that whoever shall believe in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Here, um, missions was a huge part of the Pentecostal movement. And I'm going to read a little bit from a book called Picture This. And, and last year at the National Conference, they came up with a book kind of highlighting the history of the PAOC. It was quite interesting. But when it comes to missions, here at Kola Community Church, one of our main missionaries that we support on a regular basis is Kristen Anish. 
And uh, for some of you that may be new to our church that have never heard of Christian Ernest or seen their face, this is them. And um, they live in Sri Lanka in a community uh, called Candy or near just outside of there. And um, they have a, a ministry called the Bud Center. And the Bud Center stands for Building Up Dreams. And they are in a community that is, well, it sounds like a very interesting community, but it's largely Buddhist. And the Buddhist temples and the Buddhist monks wield a lot of power and control and influence over that region. And so there's quite a bit of hostility towards the Christian church, towards their bud center. And they go and they love kids and they love families and they do amazing things. And so as you're praying about uh, your mission support and, and what you give to Remember Kristen and Nish, and we're going to hear from them more regularly. We're going to hopefully soon in the near future, we'll have a video a conversation with them, or, or they'll send a video of an update of about what God is doing in Sri Lanka. But I wanted to highlight them this morning uh, because they are people who, um, Christian was born in Canada, and uh, Nish is a native Sri Lankan, but they are, have responded to the call of God to go, to go to Sri Lanka and to bring the gospel to to some that have never heard and to some who uh, don't know Jesus. And um, at this point, I just wanted to share a little bit from this book called Picture This, 100 Years in Reflection. From the very beginning, a deep-seated missionary impulse from the Holy Spirit has marked the Pentecostal Assemblies of Canada. Pentecostalism and mission belong together, and the history of the POC cannot be understood without first perceiving its missionary and vision work. When the Holy Spirit came upon the disciples in the early church, they were empowered to be Christ's witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. In the same way, the Spirit empowered early Pentecostals to go to the world. As noted by J. Roswell Flower, the first editor of the Pentecostal Evangel, when the Holy Spirit comes into our hearts, the missionary spirit comes with it. They are inseparable, as the missionary spirit is but one of the fruits of the spirit. Carrying the gospel to hungry souls in this and other lands is but a natural result of receiving the baptism of the Holy Ghost. One such story that I wanted to touch on was a story about a couple who received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, who were filled with the Spirit in Toronto. And uh, they felt called to Africa. They went to, Li to a country named Liberia. And this is how the story goes. It's called The Story of the Missionaries from the Floating Box. In 1908, on Christmas Day, a young African named Jasper Toe stood on the beach of Garaway Bay, Liberia, looking out at the mighty Atlantic Ocean. He had walked seven days from his inland village to get there. Back in his home village, Jasper would stand outside of his hut at night and look at the stars and think there must be a creator, but how could I know him? One night as Jasper looked out at the sky, he cried, if there's a creator God, help me find you. God responded and gave clear direction to go to Garraway Beach, where he would see a big box on the water with smoke coming out of it. I read some different stories that that specifically said he'd had a dream or a vision, but this particular retelling of it doesn't state that. Out of this big box, a little box, will come with people who will tell you about who I am. So God had already prepared the answer to Jasper's prayer. John and Jesse Perkins, Methodist missionaries, attended a Pentecostal meeting in Toronto, Canada. They were baptized in the Holy Spirit. Upon returning to Liberia, they were sent by their new Pentecostal family and were accompanied by others who had also experienced the Holy Spirit to go on mission. They spent their time of traveling, praying and seeking God for guidance of where to go. John Perkins felt that he should disembark at the coastal town of Garraway. The captain argued that disembarking there was too dangerous. That in fact, the people that disembarked at this location were never seen or heard from again. However, the Holy Spirit's direction to John was urgent. You must get off the ship here. This is where I want you to go. Finally, the captain relented, and the large ship could not get close to shore because of shallow waters. So we put the missionaries and all their belongings into a small boat and paddled them to shore. 
On Christmas Day, 1908, Jasper waited to greet them with great joy. Jasper led them back to his village where the missionaries learned his language, where they shared the gospel with him. Jasper was their first convert and later became the first general superintendent of Liberia Assemblies of God. And in 2008, the Liberia Assemblies of God celebrated their 100th anniversary. They date the founding of their church to the day that Jasper Toe waited on Garraway Beach to welcome missionaries from the floating box. Another story that I wanted to share and highlight with you is this. It says, on February 12, 1908, Charles and Emma Chawner left Canada for South Africa. Charles was called by God through a very specific dream to go and minister to the Zulu people who lived in Southern Africa. Charles spent years sharing the good news with the Zulus. During one poignant moment in a small hut, a Zulu man and his wife asked Charles why he had taken so long to come. Their parents had already died and never had the opportunity to hear about Jesus. They wanted to know why they were so slow in bringing the good news. You see, God continues to transform Africa with 25,000 churches in our African partner fellowships. In addition, we currently see the spirit moving like a rushing wind with signs and wonders in much of the Muslim world and in northern and western Africa. See, the mission of God has always been central to the priority and shaping the agenda of the POC when it comes to missions. And um, currently, the fellowship, the POC fellowship, sends and supports 350 global workers who live in 60 countries and serve in 75. The mission of the POC is to make disciples to see men and women and children delivered from bondage, bondage to personal sin and darkness, to see their worldviews that are infected by corporate sin and be released from those and guided into life-giving relationship with the Father through the powerful redemptive work of Jesus Christ. Making disciples is what the POC calls the North Star that orients the POC international missions, keeping them on track and guiding their decision-making and shaping strategies. Another story that I wanted to share with you this morning was the story of Kay Kerr. She was married to a reverend named Howard, a missionary who um, over three separate periods spent their lives, much of their life in Argentina. They impacted people and uh, birthed a church movement in that nation. They were characterized by two special qualities. They had an absolute and unwavering, oh, do you know what, I actually had a couple other photos. Anyhow, I'll just stick it on that for now. They had an absolute unwavering confidence that God was with them. And this confidence led them to a peace and serenity that was not only evident in their lives, but also impacted the whole Pentecostal movement that would happen in Argentina. Kay Kerr writes about the powerful initial breakthrough of revival. After praying and a beautiful confirmation, we felt we shall go. And it was there that we experienced the most wonderful visitation of God that we have known in our lives. It began with ladies praying from 7 to 8 o'clock every day during the weekdays. We gathered in the church and our prayers were primarily threefold. One, that the Lord would fill his church with his glory. Two, that, it would fill, that God would fill it with people, for at that point, their church building was only one quarter full. And lastly, that it would be filled with men. I thought it was interesting when I was reading this, because isn't that often the case? That prayer gatherings are filled with women, women that are seeking after God that have a heart for intercession. I know many women that are praying for their husbands, that they would have a passion and a hunger for the things of God. Keep praying, ladies. The Lord did exceedingly and abundantly on this day. This Sunday morning, as people were worshiping, the presence of the Lord filled this place where they were standing. One lady described it as someone opening the windows and a fresh breeze blowing in. 
Wrongs were made right. Old wounds were healed. God's love began to flow like a river. Many would come two hours before service just to sit and wait in the presence of God. Meetings would last until midnight, and even then, nobody wanted to leave. The church soon filled, and one night, Howard whispered to me, look, look at the church. Tonight, there are more men here than women. The Assemblies of God in Argentina has grown to a fellowship of over 1,200 churches. 1,200 churches today. You know, some plant, some water, but God is the one that gives the increase. You know, some go and speak the word to people, but often those aren't the people that necessarily lead somebody to Jesus. You know, sometimes God will call you to share, to share your life, to invite your neighbor over to your house, to engage with your community, and to share little moments of your faith walk with God and who you know God to be, sometimes in subtle ways, sometimes in more overtly direct ways. But we've got to remember that sometimes it's not our job to put the ball into the hole, that our job is to just make the first swing, and that God is calling somebody else to come and follow up with that person, ultimately lead them on their journey with Jesus. Some plant, others water, but it's God who gives the increase. And so as we know that, we can't let it hinder us that I would share, but I don't think I have what it takes to lead that person to Jesus, or I don't know if I'll have any impact. Our job is to hear the voice of God, be obedient to the draw of the Holy Spirit, and leave the rest to God. In 1977, there's a 14-year-old boy named Philip at Hickory, who walked an entire day to his uncle's village to hear an evangelist. Philip found Jesus that day. The POC did not know what God had done with the seed that Don Schellenberg, a Canadian missionary, had planted on that day until Philip came to our offices in 2007. When Don arrived at the village of Tricali, there were approximately 5,000 people waiting Little did we know that in that very village, on that day, a 14-year-old boy would get saved and would later start a movement that is reaching their entire nation with the gospel. Philip Adhickory, if that's how you say his name, was, mentioned by sev was mentored by several Christian believers over his years, and in 1989 started an organization called the Talitha Kumi, they ministered to the needs of the community, which they opened their doors to share the gospel of Jesus. They do it boldly with confidence that God will take the seed that they sow and multiply it. They believe that God will heal the sick, and they still see healings when they pray. They deliver people out of bondage and out of poverty, giving hope and life to the most disenfranchised bringing them to a better life because of the gospel that they believe always uplifts. Here's a man who planted a church in 1989, planted his first church, and by the end of 2017, had planted over 3,300 churches with nearly 150,000 believers. Can you imagine? When I, when I was reading this with Rhea, I said, I think I would get exhausted just counting to 3,300. This man planted 3,300 churches that would have an impact that, that would lead 150,000 people to the Lord. And he's done it in my lifetime. Unreal what God is doing. What God is doing. Who would have imagined all this, that one sermon preached 30 years ago birthed what is now called the Pentecostal Assemblies of Bangladesh? Don't underestimate what one word that you share with somebody can do. One act of obedience on your part, 
followed up with many other acts of obedience of other men and women of God can lead to a transformational movement that can transform the world by the power of the Holy Spirit. At this point, I want to invite Deirdre, Deirdre Ostertag, to come share. And uh, Deirdre is a family friend, my wife's kind of boss, I guess, in a way. She manages um, Cold Lake Eye Care. She's the office manager there. And um, she has an amazing story. She has an amazing legacy. Um, her, her father, um, William Butcher, was the first POC missionary, or what we call global workers, to Thailand. And uh, the whole uh, movement there in Thailand was birthed out of out of much of the work that um, William, her father, and her mother, Elsie, had began. And, um, but she has an amazing story and a legacy that is being passed down from her to even the next generation, like Greg and Tim and everyone else. But uh, I invited her to come share about her parents and, um, and to share about the faithfulness of God um, through her life and her parents' life and what God is, is doing today. So um, this is uh, Deirdre. So why don't we give her a round of applause. I'd like to start with a verse from Lamentations. It's uh, Lamentations 3, 22 and 23. It says, Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The POC is celebrating the 100th anniversary of, of its founding. And from the start, as Mark said, missions has always been a part of that. In 1961, my parents left Manitoba to go to Thailand. They had heard in a general conference that they were starting a work in Thailand. And at that conference, my dad leaned over and whispered to my mom, that's for us. They were so assured that God was calling them. They weren't young. They were 50 years old at the time. And... They had pastored a small church in Swan River, Manitoba, and they were there for seven years. But they had a heart and a call for missions, and that call was very real. My parents were, uh, um, it's a long story how they arrived to Swan River. My parents arrived there, as my older brother used to joke, that was all because my Uncle Bill whistled at my Aunt Alice. <laughs> he, was an army, he was in the Army during the Second World War, and they had a leave, and he went to Southampton, and he met. He saw my, the story has it, he saw my aunt on a bicycle, and he whistled. They later married and moved to Canada as she is a war, a war bride. But God leads in mysterious ways. My father, while still a teenager, he enlisted in the British Navy. And he went to China, and he said, I'll never go back there again. He came back to England, and while he was on leave, he went with his sister, not the one that married <laughs> the, the Canadian Army man, but his other sister to church. And it was there he accepted the Lord, and he went back to the Navy when his leave was over. But sometime later, not long after, he developed a brain tumor, and he was sent home basically to die. My sister, my aunt, his sister, took care of him. And one night he said the pain was so bad that he couldn't stand it anymore. He got on his bicycle, he rode to church, and he interrupted the service and said, pray for me. God healed him instantly, and he lived till he was 54. My mom, at that time, was going to the same church as his sister, and she knew from a very young age that she was going to be a missionary in China. The Lord called her when she was 16 years old. And every boy she said she dated, she wondered if he was going to be called to China. 
when her mom died when she was 19, she didn't want any of her things because she knew she was going to China. It didn't happen until she was 20, 26, but she knew she was going. When she met my father, that was the first question she asked him. And they got engaged, but they had to go to Bible school. And in those days, they had a school for women and a school for boys. And the never the twain should meet. My mom used to say to me, she prayed, she had no money. She prayed for a stamped envelope one day so she could write to my, her husband, to my dad. And this girl came into her room and threw, she said, I know this is crazy, and I know that, I don't know why, but the Lord told me to give you this envelope. And it was stamped, and she was able to write the letter. The day came for the end of the semester that she was supposed to go home. She didn't have the money to go home. She didn't have the fare for the train. She had prayed for it, but that morning, the exact amount came in the mail. That was the incidence of God's faithfulness. When God calls us to do something, he's faithful to, to equip us and to give us what we need. And it was those things, that faithfulness of God, that, and the assurance of their call, that kept them through some very difficult times. They went out to China in the late 30s, just before the war. They went and ministered in northern China, which was occupied by the Japanese at the time. It's because of God's faithfulness, they were able to see their co-worker arrested in the middle of the night, taken and tortured, and horrible things. But it was because of his faithfulness, they knew that God was in control. It was because of that faithfulness, because of the knowledge that they had been called, and he was faithful, that they were able to go into a concentration camp and lived there with my older brother, who was three at the time, for two and a half years. And it was because of his faithfulness they were able to go back to China after the war and go to a very remote area of China on the borders of Burma. On those borders, they had to go from the biggest town, three days in the back of a truck, two days on horseback, to go to their station. At their station, there was no medical facilities. There was nothing. There were frequent robbers who would come in bands, and they were looking for, they would hear there were foreigners living in the community, and often they would, oh, thank you. Often they would behead people. It, it was very troublesome time. And then, as a young girl, I used to say to my mom, tell me a story. Don't tell me another one of those stories, but tell me when you were in China. Tell me about the robbers. Tell me about all sorts of things. My dad used to be the medical person, and he would have to pull teeth. And I don't know why they thought he could do it any better than anybody else, but they would come to him to have teeth pulled, opium overdoses that they would walk through the night to keep these people alive. We, they left China when the communists came and they went and ministered in uh, Japan, where I was born. In Japan, you have to realize these were the people who had tortured their co-worker, it was the people who had interred them for two and a half years and they were called to love and minister to them. But because of God's faithfulness, they were able to do that. And in Japan, they, they often labeled that, labeled that period of their ministry as where God answered prayer. They would pray for mundane things, and I guess I remember these because they concerned me as, as a child, and I was told these stories. But they needed a stroller, they didn't have a car. And I was a baby and I was a big baby. <laughs> and so they needed some, some way to, they couldn't always carry me. And so they prayed for a stroller and God provided. We were coming back to uh, 
they were on their way to back for furlough, and they needed clothes for me. And it was hard in Japan to, those days to find clothes that would be suitable for, for a young child that was a Westerner. And they prayed. Someone called and said, you know, I have a trunk full of little girls' clothes that just came, and my daughter doesn't fit them anymore. It's been lost for years. So would you like it? And they fit. God answers prayer when we pray. All of these things were preparations for what was going to happen later. In China, my dad learned to speak Chinese. He lived with Chinese people. And he actually, um, they used to call him a, a Chinese in a white man's body. He thought in Chinese often. He dreamt in Chinese, he'd say. And he also, he, he spoke it really well and wrote it. When we were in Swan River, he used to love to go to a Chinese restaurant. If they didn't speak Mandarin, he would um, write them notes on a napkin. He, we always got better food, according to my father. <laughs> I was never so sure about that. But because of his love for the Chinese people, he was going to Thailand to open up a work among the Chinese people. He, he ministered, and if you've ever wondered how a, a missionary goes into a country and starts something, my father went and started studying the language and my mom. It was a very difficult time because you feel so useless. But during that time, a lady asked him if he'd come and speak at the Bible school from their church. He went to this, taught at this Bible school. There was a lady there called I.E. I.E. had wanted to have somebody come and hold a service in her home. So my dad said, sure, we'll come. This home was in the middle of Chinatown. It was a wood structure apartment block, I guess for a better word. It was on the fifth floor. The home, you had to pay for your own electricity but nobody paid for the electricity in the corridors, so it was all dark. There was an uh, elevator that went up to the fourth floor. The boards were so worn in the elevator that if you wore high heels, you would get stuck in between the boards. There was metal grating all the way around, and because it was so unusual to see foreigners in that building, kids would follow us. And They'd run around the stairs as fast as the elevator would go up. And people would follow us to this little room. It was in the center of the building, had no windows. It had no, it was one room, and a whole family lived in this one room. To sleep, they had created a false ceiling, and they slept in a crawl space above them. I don't know how they did it, because if you've ever been to Thailand, you know it's very, very hot. It's very humid. This room was so warm, and it was so crowded. And one day, my mom said to me, I don't know what ever would happen if there was a fire in that building. You've never seen a preteen pray more hard about fires than I did at that point. I was so nervous every time we went to that building and so relieved when we left. God moved, and the church in Thailand was born from a group of 14 to 25-year-old young people. Those people, be, those kids wanted to have services every night of the week. Eventually, because people in Canada gave, we were able to rent a storefront building. And this building was three stories, and we held services there. They, it seated 250 people, and often it was full. Those kids told everybody about what God could do in your, their lives. God was faithful in their, in their ministry. He's faithful wherever we are. We're all called to be missionaries, even those young people. And as a result, they had... There was one evening a week where we didn't have a service. Pastor Jeff always says, well, I went to church four times a week, and I said, I'm better, I've got better than you. I went to church a lot more than that. 
On top of that, they had open-air services and they, uh, they had a big market on the weekends. And at the service, we used to laugh because they'd often want to sing Christmas carols. And it would be the middle of the summer. And, and they were just so grateful for God's coming in their life. And at these meetings, we would, we'd hand out tracts. And at the tracts, people responded. In, in about two years period, my father, we received over 2,000 replies. So on top of ministering six times a week, and there was an awful lot of work to do. And it's interesting because Don Schellenberg, who Mark mentioned in, his, in the history of the, uh, uh, one of the stories in, in, where was that? Bangladesh. He, he came and helped my parents before we left in Thailand. But those, those young people were tortured, were not tortured, but persecuted for their faith. Their parents, their, their siblings often, often beat them up, said, you can't go. They, if some people couldn't go, well, the uh, other young people would take notes and give it to them. If one young girl, her name was Apung, she became a Christian, and her mother said she couldn't go to church. So she went upstairs, and she started to pray. She had a vision of Christ standing there with her, and he, she could see the nail prints in his hands. She was so amazed, she ran downstairs. Her mother took one look at her and said, go to church. <laughs> and she was allowed to go to church after that. Shortly after that, her mother got ill, and she ended up dying. Her brother and her father blamed her for her mother mother's death. Another young man, he was, his name was Galway. He was beaten up by, and came to church. He had bruised black and blue eyes. And he came to church, and, and my father was very concerned. And he says, I'm like the disciples. Rejoice with me that I count worthy to be, suffer for Christ. And, and from those humble beginnings... There's now a work in, in Thailand, and when I last checked, the Bible school that my father's passion was for is, is there's 140 students, and they have a four-year bachelor's program. There's 10 missionary families, I th think the last count was, and four single missionaries were there. And God is faithful. In 1965, we came back to Canada, and my father, as missionaries were apt to do in those days, itinerated from church to church, and he was really trying to raise money for a Bible school in Canada, or in Thailand. And he died in a car crash by Port, um, Thunder Bay area in um, December of 1965. Shortly after that, in 1969, Another missionary um, by the name of Robert, just a minute, forgot, uh, Ron Young went to Thailand, oh thanks, came to Thailand and, and um, took over the Bible school, started a night Bible school, a three-year program in a nights, and he took th three men and went to a prison to do some ministry. On his way back, they were killed in a car accident. A year after that, Bob Eames went to Thailand, and he went and was the prince, uh, principal of the Bible school, and he died untimely death from a heart attack, I believe it was. The work, the early beginnings of Thailand was tragic, but God was still faithful. My parents felt God's call to go overseas as missionary, but God calls all of us to be missionaries wherever we are at, in our homes, our work, our community. And when we do follow, when we know he's called us that way, we can be sure that he will be faithful. There's a hymn that I love.
Great is thy faithfulness, O God, my Father. There's no shadow of turning with thee. Thou changest not, thy compassions they fail not. As thou hast been, thou forever wilt be. Great is thy faithfulness, great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning new mercies I see. All I have needed, thy hand hath provided. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. Wow. Well, thank you, Deirdre. That was great. What you said there at the end really speaks to me. Part about that we're all missionaries. Sometimes we don't think of it that way. Sometimes we think that pastors are hired to do ministry for the church. But you want to know what the truth is? Pastors are hired to equip you, the church, to be ministers of the gospel to your community. And that includes ourselves. I have just the same responsibility to reach my neighbors, to share my, my sphere of influence outside of these four walls, and share with them the love of Christ and what God has done as, as, as every other person that is here this morning that is a Christ follower. And um, so this morning, I hope that um, some of these stories about what God has done, about where we've come from as a fellowship, and what God has done throughout the world speaks to you, that God is, is sparking a fire in your heart for a burden as though you are a missionary to Cold Lake, that you are a missionary to Bonneville, to St. Paul, to the Lakeland region, wherever it is that, that you live and reside, and that you feel called to be here. You know, sometimes in Cold Lake, because we're such a transient place, you know, between military and oil and gas, so many people that come in and out of Cold Lake come following a job. And the truth is, whether you're here for one year, two years, three years, or the rest of your life, I want to encourage you to think about where God has planted you right now as your mission's ground, as a place where God has called you to be able to share the hope that you have in Jesus with others. If we were to do that, we would think of the impact we would have on our community. You have been listening to a Cold Lake Community Church podcast. We hope that you've been blessed by this teaching from Cold Lake Community Church. Thank you for your continued support of this ministry. Cold Lake Community Church, a place where families connect.